Well, it's great to be back with you. Uh, for those of you who do not know, I've just returned recently from India and Sri Lanka. And first of all, I want to thank you for your prayers. I never felt threatened at all while I was over there. I zipped through customs uh, with no problems whatsoever. And part of that, I believe, was because of your prayers. So while I was in India, I had the privilege of training 200 uh, pastors from all over India. Uh, some of them drove two and three days in order to be there for this conference. So it was great being with our brothers and sisters there in India. As a part of the conference in India... I also got to take, take part in an ordination of about 30 pastors. And that was a, a very unique experience and very different from an ordination that takes place here in the States. First of all, before they will ordain any of these guys, they have to go out, start a church, and have at least 20 members in their church before they can be ordained. And then you'll see in the picture, as part of the ceremony, each of them was handed a brand new Bible to remind them that our duty is to go out with the Word of God. Each of them were given a towel that you'll see upon their arms. That was to remind them that just as Jesus came to serve and not be served, they were to go out and serve. Then they were given a little bottle of oil to remind them that they need to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit and that part of their ministry is to be a healing ministry to people. And then you'll see the mantle that was over their, their shoulders. That was to remind them of their charge. And they asked me to participate in giving that charge to them and placing the mantle over their shoulders. And as they did that, they had each of them make a promise that they would be faithful unto death. Because for some of them, where they are ministering, that could be a reality. They are in places of persecution. And they asked me to do that. In the past, it was Benny's dad who would uh, do that. So I felt uh, honored. Uh, they did say that earlier in the year, I had participated in one of these services over Zoom. And they said, I looked like Benny's dad with the beard. And so they gave me the responsibility of the old guy that was there to, to say, I'm passing the mantle on to you. But that was a real blessing. And I just want you to know that as a church, that as we go, you go with us. You prayed for us. It's your giving that helps us as a church to be able to do things like that. And so I just encourage you, as part of your, as part of your worship, uh, we haven't passed a plate here on Sunday mornings since COVID, but there are boxes in the back of the auditorium for you to drop your offerings into. And I would encourage you, that's part of our worship to the Lord, is to give to him as well. 
Well, take your Bibles now and join me over into 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're continuing our journey through the, the book of Corinthians. And we've come this morning to this chapter, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Now, I want to remind you that as we're walking through 1 Corinthians, that beginning with chapter 7, verse 1, we are dealing with problems in the church that they had written to Paul about. Look, you'll see it up on the screen, 1 Corinthians 7, 1. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote. So, Paul is writing to them, answering questions they had for him. Now, we're a little bit at a disadvantage in that we don't have the questions. What we have are Paul's answers. But from those answers, we can get some insight into what some of those questions were they were asking about. So in chapter 7, Paul dealt with issues of marriage with them. Then also in chapter 7, he dealt with issues about singleness. Should people get married? What about those who are widowed? Paul deals with that in chapter 7. In chapter 8, he answers their questions about food that was offered to idols. In chapters 9 and 10, he deals with issues of Christian liberty. Chapter 11, he dealt with head coverings. Uh, you remember that message by Bruce on head coverings and how Bruce gave an example there of a cultural thing of greeting one another with a holy kiss? Remember how Bruce shared that from his Italian background, he just loves you guys coming up and kissing him. So I, I, guys particular, I want to encourage you. You go give Bruce all the holy kisses that you want to. He just loves that when you do that. He says it's part of his Italian background, okay? I'm not Italian. You give those kisses to Bruce. I'll greet you with a holy handshake. But, but you know, the Apostle Paul dealt with the issues of head coverings. He dealt with problems they were having at the Lord's table and at their love feast. And now he's dealing with spiritual gifts. Look back at chapter 12, verse 1. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts. So he's once again answering their questions. So as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to be dealing with the subjects of prophecy and tongues. Uh, one leading uh, Christian has said this, Dealing with the subject of 1 Corinthians 14 and the gift of tongues is a theological landmine. One false move and everything can blow up in your face. No biblical subject has caused more consternation, fueled more debates, ignited more arguments, or divided more churches in the 20th and 21st centuries. The difficulty is immediately signaled when one realizes this is the only spiritual gift that an entire chapter in the New Testament is devoted to its discussion. And we begin with, there's not even agreement about what tongues are. 
On the one hand, we have those who believe that tongues are some type of ecstatic utterance. And then on the other hand, we have those who believe, as I believe, that tongues are always a known language. And we're going to talk about that as we work through. But I don't want us to miss, as we discuss this, because sometimes we can miss the major point, that as Paul deals with this, he is going to stress that we need to keep in mind the edifying or the building up of believers and the reaching out to the lost. Build up believers and reach out to the lost. And anything that makes us as a church get away from those focuses is a problem. So let's not lose sight of that as we talk about this uh, issue that existed clear back in the church in Corinth. So as Paul deals with it, the first thing I want you to see is the command that he gives in chapter 14, verse 1. And that is, pursue love. Say that with me. Pursue love. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love. Now this is right in the midst of talking about spiritual gifts. And let me say to you, as members of the body of Christ and as members of Maranatha Bible Church, you will never be completely fulfilled in your Christian walk until you are using your spiritual gifts. This church will never be all that God wants it to be until every member of this body is using their spiritual gifts. That's how important spiritual gifts are. You have been gifted by God. I want you to say that with me. I am gifted. Everyone, I am gifted. Also, you are to use your gift. So I want all of you to say with me, I am to use my gift together. I am to use my gift. That's the teaching of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Every believer has a gift. Every believer is important. Every believer needs to be exercising the gift that God has given to them. But as chapter 12 comes to an end, Paul says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then he launches in to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that is all about love. Everything must be done in love. The exercising of our gifts needs to be done in love. He reiterates that in verse 1 of chapter 14. Pursue love. The word pursue here is a very strong word because it reminds us that love can be an elusive thing. Love is something we have to work at. Pursue is a word that is used of a hunter that's chasing after his prey. Now, 
I am not a hunter. Some of you here in the church are deer hunters. How many deer hunters do we have here or have ever been out hunting deer? You know, it amazes me the lengths that you guys will go to. First of all, you will scope out where you're going to go hunt. You know, I hear you guys talking. Oh, so-and-so has a farm, and there's deer that have been seen there, and we got permission to to go there. So you scope out where you're going to go. You will get up early in the morning. Those of you who cannot get here to church on time (laughs) will be up at 5 a.m. to go out to get in place to hunt your deer. Some of you get up earlier than that. Uh, I had a friend that they had an outreach as a church on the first day of hunting season for all the hunters. And they would have a church full of people at 4 a.m. in the morning to eat breakfast before they went out hunting. So you'll get up very early in the, the morning. Some of you have built deer stands or you've built things up in the trees so that you can go up and get into the the tree so that you can be in a position. Some of you won't take your cell phones with you. You know, you don't want any sound coming. Or if you have your cell phone with you, you will turn it off. And some of you will sit there all day just waiting for some deer to come by. And some of you are very selective. Oh, that's not the type of deer I want to shoot. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for something better than that. What if we pl- applied that same dedication to pursuing love in the body of Christ? Pursue love, Paul tells us. Secondly, he tells us desire spiritual gifts. And he's going to, as we desire spiritual gifts, he's going to compare here in verses or throughout this chapter the gifts of prophecy and tongues. So obviously in their questions to Paul, there was a problem in the church at Corinth over the use of the gift of tongues. And so he's going to spend a whole lot of time talking about this. And he says to the church, desire spiritual gifts. Verse 1 again, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now when he says that, he's not saying that to the individual, that as individuals we should desire spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are given to us at the moment of salvation. You already have your spiritual gift if you are saved. So desiring a gift that you do not have is not what Paul is talking about here. He's speaking to the church and he's saying as a church desire spiritual gifts. As we've already seen, all the gifts are important. God placed everybody in the body where he wanted them with the gifts that he wanted them to have. So as a church, desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. 
Back in chapter 12, in verse 31, there the apostle Paul had told them, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And as Bruce pointed out, it can also mean you are desiring the higher gifts. So even though every gift is important, when the church assembles together, there are some gifts that are a higher priority to take place in the assembly of the church. So he says, desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue, I'm just going to stop here and I'm going to say that I believe that the gift of tongues is the ability to speak in a foreign language. And that the word, that tongues in the Bible, a word that is used about 50 times in the Bible, sometimes it refers to the organ, our physical organ of the tongue. Occasionally, it is used in an illustrative manner, like in the book of Acts, where they saw tongues of fire. So it's used in a symbolic way there. The other 33 times it is used, I believe it always refers to a known language. Unfortunately, in the King James Version of the Bible, and if you're using that version this morning, you will see the term unknown tongue through here. And basically, they put that word in, which is not in the original manuscripts, to try to help people to understand that the tongue many times was unknown to the one who was speaking it. That is what made it a supernatural gift of the Spirit. So I know that there are those who disagree with this. There's a lot of controversy about this, but we do not have time this morning to go into all of those arguments back and forth. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. If you speak in a tongue that others do not understand, you are speaking merely to God, because nobody understands what you're saying. When I was over in India and in Sri Lanka, aside from having a translator, nobody understood what I was saying. There were a few there who knew the language of England, English, but many of them did not understand. So when I'm speaking, if without a translator, I'm merely speaking to God, not to men. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. If you speak in words they understand, you build up those in the church. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Now let me stop here for a moment. Remember, Paul is dealing with a problem in Corinth. So that we obviously have people in Corinth who are speaking in tongues in their services for the purpose of building themselves up. Is that the purpose of spiritual gifts? To build ourselves up? No. 
We are given spiritual gifts, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of the body. Now, there is a side benefit that when we use our gifts, we feel like we are fulfilled in serving the Lord. But that's a byproduct, not the purpose of it. And Paul says, you're focusing on that byproduct of building yourself up. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. I think this statement is greatly misunderstood. I want you all to speak in tongues. First of all, there is a teaching out there that teaches that every true believer that has the Spirit of God will speak in tongues. And if you haven't spoken in tongues, then you don't have the Spirit of God. You know, I've, I've met with individuals who believe this. We've talked about that uh, together. And as I've talked with them, and they believe that, to be consistent with their beliefs, they would come to the determination that I am lost and don't know Jesus because I haven't spoken in tongues. And one of the verses they will go to is this verse where Paul says, I want you all to speak in tongues. But do all Christians speak in tongues? Go back to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's look at things in context. In chapter 12, verse 29, after Paul has talked about spiritual gifts, and he wants us to understand how we all need one another, he asks the question in verse 29, are all apostles... Was everybody an apostle? The answer is what? No, say that with me. What are the, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? You're getting a little weak on me there. Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Is every Christian supposed to speak with tongues? The answer is absolutely not. All do not speak with tongues. Then what does Paul mean when he says, I want you all to speak in tongues? Paul is saying that from a personal standpoint, he would desire that everyone could speak in other languages. That's his desire. But, he says, even more to prophesy, even more important, I would rather everyone give forth the word of God. That's the gift of prophesying. Not foretelling the future, but forthtelling the word of God. I would rather you all do that. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. What's it mean? He's greater than that. It means that when you prophesy or give forth the word of God, that is of greater benefit to everyone in the body. 
He says, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Tongues in the early church without an interpreter only built up the person who was speaking and did not build up the body. That's why it's required, and we'll see next week when we go into the rest of 1 Corinthians, that whenever a tongue was used, there was someone who had to interpret the, the tongue in the service. Now, brothers, he says, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? What benefit is to you if I come speaking in a language and there's nobody here to interpret that for you? There is of no benefit. To you, But if I come to you with a revelation, with knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching, that benefits the whole body of Christ. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? You know, when we have instruments and someone's playing them, if they're just playing random sounds... It means nothing to us. But if they are playing a song for us, we recognize that. Or in the context of giving forth a command with a trumpet, the right trumpet sound means something to those who are in the army. You know, so, and if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourself, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? So if you speak in a language that nobody knows, how's anybody going to know what you say? So when I'm in Sri Lanka, I'm up teaching. There's a group of individuals here that are listening to the translator next to me. There's another group in the back who spoke neither English nor the language that the rest of the people there understood. So there was a separate translator for them in the back who interpreted my words to them so they could understand. Otherwise, it would be of no benefit to them. He goes on. For you will be speaking in the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world. And none is without meaning. Every language in the world has meaning to it. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So desire spiritual gifts for the body but recognize, Paul is telling them, to the church in Corinth, recognize that prophecy within the church, when you are assembled together, is more important for the body than the gift of tongues. Then in verse 12, he reminds them that they need to build up the church. Look at verse 12. So with yourselves... Since you are eager for manifestations of 
the Spirit. So this is a church that was really eager to see spiritual gifts exercised. Strive to excel in the building up of the church. Remember, pursue love because gifts must be used in the context of love. And also strive to build one another up. Now he's going to give some practical instruction. Verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So if in the early church the gift of tongues was a real gift, if a person was given the gift of tongues and he speaks in a language that he himself does not understand, Paul tells him he should do what? Pray that he'll have understanding so that he can interpret. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So if God gave a person the gift of tongues and he prayed in that tongue, Paul says that without his mind engaged, it's unfruitful to him in his mind. What am I to do? If that's the case, Paul says, what am I supposed to do if that occurs with me? He says this, I will pray with my spirit but I will pray with my mind also. Following Jesus Christ, use of the gifts is not a mindless operation. I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? So if someone gets up and speaks in a language that you don't understand and the group does not understand, how is anyone going to say amen to that? And the word amen means let it be. I'm in agreement with that, if you don't understand what they're saying. When I was with the group in India, they were singing together. They were praising the Lord. And you know what? I didn't understand a word of it. I wanted to sing with them. But how can I sing with them? Or how can I even say amen to what they are singing when I don't understand a word of what they are singing? That's what Paul is talking about. Only this time, I'm the outsider, not the person who is there of the majority who are there. He goes on. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built Then Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul says, I am thankful that I speak in more languages than all of you here in the church. Nevertheless, in the church, 
I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. You get what he's saying here? Paul says, I speak in more languages than all of you. But if I speak in those, wor- those other languages that you don't understand, I'd rather give you five words that I understand and that you understand than to give you 10,000 words that nobody understands. So he's giving them practical instruction on what they are to be doing in their services. And then he tells them, be mature. Verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Don't act like children. Be infants in evil. Be be like children when it comes to evil. Uh, Most little kids don't sit out and plan to do that which is wrong. Be like children in evil. But in your thinking... As you think about this, as you think about what is going on in your services, be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of a strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now, Paul is quoting here from Isaiah chapter 28 in verses 11 and 12. And the context of Isaiah chapter 28 is that God is going to use tongues as a sign to the Jewish people that they are supposed to listen to God. They have not listened in their own language So God is going to use tongues as a sign to the Jewish nation. I think this is often missed when it comes to the New Testament gifts of tongues. That tongues were primarily a gift to the Jewish people for them to recognize that the gospel that the apostles were preaching was from God and they were to follow it. Thus, he says, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Who are tongues for? Unbelievers. And primarily, I would say to you, they are a sign for unbelieving Jewish people that they would recognize the truth of the gospel. It says, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Do you see why that was the superior gift in their gatherings together? Because it's believers who are gathering together. So tongues are for unbelievers, primarily unbelieving Jews. The gift of prophecy is for believers. If therefore... He says, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter. Will they not say that you are out of your minds? Now Paul's saying, if you have an outsider 
And you invite, you invite your friends, your neighbor, to come to church. And they come here, and when they come into this service, what if everybody in this place broke out speaking in tongues? I've actually been in a service where that occurred. Thank God it was not here at Maranatha. What does the outsider think? What do you think your lost friend is going to think? He's going to think, these people are out of their minds. These people are crazy. Paul says, that's what's going to happen. But, he says, but if all prophesy, if everyone is giving forth God's word, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is real, is really among you. When we meet together for a worship service, it should be such that a lost person coming into our midst, seeing what is going on here, will be convicted of their sin will hear the message of God. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and will be convicted and will be drawn to follow God. That's why Paul is telling us prophecy is a superior gift to be used when the church is assembled together. Be mature. He tells the group there. Tongues are a sign to unbelievers. Prophecy is a sign to believers. You know, the Corinthian church was one of the most gifted churches in the entire New Testament. Paul will say of this church, they didn't lack a single gift. But what were they lacking? They were lacking in love. They were not pursuing after love. And when you're not pursuing after love, you get off course. That's why we've entitled, or we've entitled this whole series, Course Correction. The church in Corinth needs to get back on course. There were so many things. They were off course on. They were devoid of Christian character. And because of that, it manifested itself in all kinds of different problems. And so Paul is here dealing with the problem of tongues and prophecy and what was going on in their services. And we're going to pick this up next week because there's other problems that are there that are going on in their worship services. And we're going to deal with that next week as well. So what are our takeaways here for us this morning? What do I want us to get? I want you to remember that you are gifted. Say with me again, I am gifted. Together, I am gifted. I want you to remember that you are to use your gift. Say with me again, I am to use my gift. I am to use my gift. 
So let's get busy in what God has called us to do. Pursue, because if we're pursuing after love, we're going to want to serve one another that is here. And serving one another in the areas where God has gifted us will be a benefit to this whole body. And you will find in your own walk with Christ that you will be fulfilled and you will find enjoyment in doing what God has equipped you to do. The story is told of Oliver Cromwell in the 1600s in England. As the leader of the nation, he was faced with a shortage of precious metals to make coins out of. So he sent his troops throughout all of England looking to find precious metals that they could use to make coins out of. They came back and they reported to him that the only precious metals they could find were in the statues of saints that were in the corners of the churches. Cromwell said, well then go get those statues and melt down the saints and put them into circulation. That's what God wants us to do. Put the saints into circulation using their gifts for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Father, that you will help us that we might use the gifts that you've given to us. And help us to use them in a loving way that we might honor and serve you so that you will be glorified. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.